In 2016, we had the honor of interviewing Fred Johnson. At the time, he was Macon's last Pearl Harbor survivor. I'm Ben Sandifer, and on the 80th anniversary of the Pearl Harbor attack, we'll bring you Mr. Johnson's story once again. This World War II veteran that many Middle Georgians may remember better as the first principal of Willingham High School passed away in 2020 at the age of 104. Now, Middle Georgia Podcast presents Fred Johnson's Pearl Harbor story in his own words. My name is Fred Johnson. I'm a Pearl Harbor survivor. I served in the Navy. I'm going to get my ear and go home. I didn't work out like that, but they also called for some volunteers and said you're a nice warm place. I was from the South. That warm place sounded pretty good to me. Well, it turned out to be Hawaii, Pearl Harbor. And I was assigned to the Command of Battleship Pacific Fleet. I was attached to the command of the battleship commander, Admiral Anderson at that time. I was a communication watch officer. Now, just before Pearl Harbor started, I had been on the West Virginia, and the staff moved over to the Maryland uh, about a week before this started. On the night before Pearl Harbor happened, I went ashore with some of my friends and I'm not going to tell you everything we did, but uh, we were having a good time. We got back about four o'clock in the morning, and I was very sound asleep in my ammunition room, and I heard a lot of gunfire noise. Somebody passed the word, all hands men in battle stations. That got everybody's attention. Meanwhile, they were busting down the door to my bedroom, <laughs> this ammunition room to get to the ammunition. So I, I got up and put on my uniform and went to my battle station, which was farther up in the bridge part of the ship. And on my way up, I could see these planes coming in low from the bayside, dropping torpedoes on the Oklahoma. Of course, we were tied up to the Oklahoma. As I stepped out on the bridge, there's a Japanese fighter plane was just coming across the top. And just as he reached us, he was hit. And he was playing one minute and the ball of fire the next. He just exploded. And the big uh, shout went up from all the people who saw it, including myself. At least we were doing something. We were sort of wedged in by the Oklahoma on one side and the island on the other, but we were not damaged very much. The damage in the harbor was horrible. Nearly every ship was either sunk or on fire, some of them both. California, which is another flagship, had sunk, but she sunk straight down. The loudest noise I think I have ever heard in my life came when a 2,000-pound bomb hit the Arizona, and it hit it in the place where it came through the armed steel deck and down into a compartment that held this ammunition for those big guns. 
And that's what set off that big explosion. That was why the Arizona was just torn apart and lost so many people. There were a lot of ships burning, and a lot of them were sunk. A lot of people had to abandon ship. There were a lot of people in the water. The oil was running out of all these ships. Their oil tanks had been punctured, and some of that caught fire. It looked like the whole harbor was on fire. Some men who were overboard, and they got caught under the water with a fire above them. If they were good swimmers, they made it out. The ship had been buttoned up all day, no food, no water. When we found the Japanese had gone and left us, we went back to normal conditions. And I remember my first meal we had that day. There was a great big pot of tomato soup sitting in the middle of the wardroom floor in a dipper. <laughs> Best meal I ever had. For days after the actual attack, every time a boat would go ashore, they would pick up dead bodies that were floating in the water. They'd bring them over to the dock, and the people from the shoreside would pick them up and process them. The Oklahoma was uh, flipped over on her side. Her bottom was sticking up out of the water, and we could hear people beating on the hull with a hammer or something, making noise to show that they were still alive. And they sent uh, crews over from the shore to cut holes in the bottom of the Oklahoma. And they took, uh, I think it was 75 people out of there alive after she capsized. And I just happened to be on watch on the Tuesday morning after the attack, uh, about uh, three o'clock in the morning when the last survivor came out of the bottom of the Oklahoma, and he was a happy camper. People have asked me, why were we so surprised? I hate to say it, but a lot of our senior officers at this time had never had any combat duty. Uh, our ships were not prepared. We had radar on our ship. It was sitting up against the bulkhead up there. It wasn't installed. We had uh, new anti-aircraft guns to replace the machine guns that we'd had before. You have to have a, a command post for them, especially if you're firing at sea. None of that was in place. We knew that the Japanese had a big fleet out north of Pearl Harbor. We didn't know exactly where they were going, but uh, we knew they were there. We didn't figure they were on a picnic out there anywhere. There are a lot of coincidences as far as I'm concerned that happened that day. First, I'd been transferred from the West Virginia to the Maryland, and uh, if I had been on the West Virginia, there was a 2,000-pound bomb went right through what would have been my battle station. Secondly, Oklahoma came in and tied up outboard of us. She got five torpedoes that we would have gotten, but she sure saved us. So I was lucky. Our thanks to Mr. Johnson's family for allowing us to use his story once again on the 80th anniversary of Pearl Harbor. 
Fred Johnson passed away on January 31st, 2020 at the age of 104. For Middle Georgia Podcast, I'm Ben Sandifer.